and welcome to your go-to Detroit Pistons podcast, The Pistons Pulse, co-hosted by me, Bryce Simon of Motor City Hoops, a former D1 hooper and current teacher, husband, and father of three amazing kids. And we are not joined this week by Omari Sankofa, Pistons beat writer for the Detroit Free Press, as he is on a much-deserved and earned break and vacation for a couple weeks. But we are joined by our producer, Wes Davenport, as always, and the best guest, and he himself will tell you a friend of the podcast. So when I say that, Keith, I think it's okay. We are joined by salary cap expert, one of the best followers on Twitter. If you're not at Keith Smith NBA, you should be. And co-host of one of the best NBA podcasts there is, the front office show with Trevor Lane, who I had the pleasure of meeting at Summer League. Keith Smith, welcome back to the Pistons Pulse. I appreciate it. Thanks so much for having me. I, I, I didn't know you were out there. I missed you, you know, when, when we were out there. It's it's so funny. You spend so much time in all those gyms running around. And then I always come home and there was like 10, 15 people. And I was like, how did I not run into them at some point? So yeah, it's just, it's just it's the way it goes when you get out there. But thanks for having me. I, I really appreciate it. Uh, sorry, no, nobody gets the dulcet tones of, of Omari this morning, but you'll have to put up with me. But that's all right. We'll have some fun. Yeah, we will. It's 86 episodes into the Pistons Pulse, Keith. And this is the first one that Omari and I haven't done together. So it was going to happen eventually. I wouldn't rather do it with anybody else other than you. Guys, next week, Omari will still be gone, but Wes is going to join with his DBB Live co-host, Jack Kelly. So that'll be a fun one also. Yeah, so I'm in media summer league, Keith, and I'm setting, you know, where the player tunnel is. I'm hanging out there and here comes Trevor and I'm like, I got to say hello. So I introduced myself and I'm like, I've had Keith on the podcast. Is he is he here? Where's he at? And he's like, oh yeah, he'll be down in a minute. And then like you say, you get busy talking to some. You probably walked by when I was back in the tunnel or something. <laughs> You end up missing so many people that you want to say hello to. It's, it's a great experience, but it's just everybody's there. You never feel like you get to talk to everybody. Yeah, absolutely. And there are times when I have all intention of getting in to watch a game, and then I end up in the concourse for two hours just catching up with people and seeing everything. This was my first time back in a few years. And, I, and I'll tell you, and I'm not pumping him because he's my buddy, but you you go around uh, Summer League with Trevor for a while because of the Lakers fans that infiltrate the place. It's like walking around with a rock star. <laughs> I now know what it's like to hang out with uh, Harry Giles or one of the Jonas Brothers for, for a few days. So we, we had a lot of fun out there. It was a great time. That's exactly right. I mean depending on who you're with, you may just end up never catching a game. And that's how I was. (laughs) We recorded right after a Pistons game, Keith, and me and Amari, and and I didn't watch any of the game because I was just talking to people. And I was like, we're riding the taxi back to the hotel. I was like, Amari, you have to carry this one, my guy, because I have no idea what just happened. And again, it's just, it's such a networking situation. Regular games have a, a vibe, that kind of vibe, but it's not like Summer League, as you know. It's it's incredible. It's so much fun. Let's let's stay right there then, Keith. Let's get into the Pistons talk. You got to be out there, watch Asar Thompson, number five pick. First, and I know you don't have any emotional attachment, did you feel a little bit bad for the Pistons falling to number five? And then what did you think about Asar and kind of pre, because I know you do NBA draft stuff. You you scout these guys. And then what did you think pre? And then now that we've seen them in some action, it, albeit summer league. To the first part, I felt awful at the draft lottery for the Pistons because 
they did not go into the season intending to be bad, right? Sometimes when teams are openly tanking, especially from you know, the first preseason game straight through the regular season, it's a little hard to feel bad for them because it's like, oh, the basketball gods punished you. But they were trying to be good, right? They, they were trying to take steps forward and just injuries and other things kind of waylaid that whole process and it just became a mess for them. So I, I kind of look at it as it, it was just, you know, the worst possible luck. And I mean, it's the worst possible luck to have four teams jump you, which is the max they can and push you back. That said, I think they came out okay. I, I think Osara Thompson's going to be pr- pretty good, um, you know, for, for them. I, it's going to take some time. I think that's the big thing. I think Pistons fans are going to have to be patient with him. And what you'll get, which is going to be fun, especially over the next two seasons, is watching him develop things, especially like I go back to Jalen Brown um, from a team I covered for a long time with the Celtics. One of the fun things to watch was he would get the ball outletted to him around half court, head down, barrel into charges and everything else. And then all of a sudden at some point in about the middle part of year two, he would catch it ever so slightly millisecond pause, look up and sidestep the guy stepping in to take the charge and it was those little things that you're like when you watch a team every single day and watch a player every day those are the things that get you kind of jazzed and excited where like oh man he's figuring that out so and that's part of my way to say super duper athlete I mean him and his brother might be the two best athletes in this class I mean just incredible their end-to-end speed I think is maybe one of their most impressive traits also with the ball too you you know some guys are super fast but you put the ball in their hands and they're like all of a sudden half their speed is gone like i don't think they slow down and the number of times um he would get it and go off the boards and just yeah he's not very strong yet not a surprise right but he's he can get up so he's very willing to go in and get rebounds and take contact obviously a very willing passer um with that which i think is going to be really big for this pistons team because i think they've got a lot of guys who are they're open to moving the ball which i think is really important and i know we're going to get into it later but i think that's why it's important to keep and add shooting because nothing you know sidetracks a young team quicker than drive and kick clanged off the rim driving kick missed shot you know entirely those kind of things it makes such a mess because then they don't want to kick right then you get contested fall away off the dribble mid-range stuff that's just not a good look and all those things so I, I think with him it's just my I feel better having seen him because I didn't see him a lot right overtime elite games are not easy to come by so I feel better now than I did going in because just because I now have seen it and it's like all right dude is a not not only is he an NBA level athlete he's like in the top five maybe two one percent NBA level athletes I the the basketball IQ is there you can see he really knows what he's doing out there my concern is is he ever going to shoot right that's my worry if you're going to be a high level playmaking wing you have to be able to make shots and that that's you know a little bit of a worry but everything else is there and we'll, we'll give it the next you know two three years to see if the jump shot comes around i'm glad you spoke on the patience keith because that's kind of what i've preached coming out of summer uh, pistons fans got very excited it was a little bit of a polarizing selection keith just because the ote stuff and everybody had their opinion and it was it was 
people can say whatever they want. It was a hard evaluation. You know, both of mm -hmm. us do this kind of for a, a living or whatever, you know, as a part of our jobs, you know, mine as a side hustle, your full-time job, but we evaluate draft picks and it was hard pretty much. I didn't talk to anybody who was like, I have a firm grasp on what this OTE stuff is. So I think it's fair for everybody to say they weren't sure, but he went to summer league. He looked really good in his role, played really well. And I want Pistons fans to just be patient because it wasn't because he was scoring 20 games a night. It's because he was doing all the stuff you were talking about, the rebounding, the passing. So kind of what do you see his role this rookie season for this Pistons team? Do you think he should start? Is it coming off the bench? You know, we don't have to dive into this many shots and this many points. We actually did that last week. But what, what kind of kind of big picture his role for this current roster construction as it is? And if you're Monty Williams, your idea with him is, you're going to come off the bench, you know, in, in more assuming relative health, right, for the rest of the yes. roster and all that stuff. So come off the bench this year. And when you get in there, I just want you to play hard. Play hard, run the floor hard, defend, get after it. Show us all those things. Be a connecting piece, right? He's a, He should not be coming in looking, I'm going to light it up. I'm, you know, Jamal Crawford, Lou Williams <laughs> here with my, you know, 15 shots a night off the bench and getting you, you know, 15 to 20 points. Like that's just shouldn't be the way it is. If that's what it turns out to be, great. You know, awesome. We'll all live with that very happily. But I think for now, the idea is, Get out there and run, right? Get out there and run, play really hard, you know, do, do, do that, you know, and that, that alone should be enough in this rookie season to establish him as a rotation guy. And I think even cracking the rotation, I know this sounds weird, maybe it, it, Pistons fans, I hope will appreciate this, but anybody else who maybe is listening, it sounds weird to say this about a team that was the worst team in the league last year. It's not exactly the easiest wing group to crack the rotation with. There's a lot of guys, and I think you're going to see Cade Cunningham play some as like a, a playmaking wing versus, versus a truly on-ball point guard um, just because of the way the rest of the roster is made up. So it's it's not like he's walking in and as a rookie is going to be handed 25 minutes a night and said, just go and play through all your mistakes. Kind of like what we saw with Cunningham, with Jaden Ivey. I think he's going to be more, you have to earn it, which is more to me, it, that's kind of more fun and better in a sense, because that means if you're seeing him on the floor, that means the coaching staff trusts him and he's earned it. And he's passed some other guys who are clearly NBA level guys that can play. I love that you bring that up. So we didn't have this on the outline, but let's go ahead and go into this kind of a competitive roster, Keith. I'm it really four, is. 14 guys on the roster, two rookies, right? So whatever you want to say about Asar, but Marcus Sasser is an older, you know, veteran in terms of a co coming out of college, you know, four years of experience. If you guys haven't listened to that, we had Marcus on the Pistons Pulse a couple weeks ago. Go listen to that interview. It was a great episode. You know, and then what do you think about Killian Hayes, right? And so everybody has their opinion. Again, I don't think we want to get into it because that is really the most polarized. Well, maybe Isaiah Stewart. We're going to talk about Isaiah Stewart in a little bit also. But yeah, you have to earn your spot, Keith. I think that's huge because over the last few years, I don't think that this was a roster where you could say, players 13, 14, 15 were necessarily real NBA guys. Maybe they were lottery tickets, what I call lottery tickets. Maybe they pop. I'm fine that Weaver, you know, took those chances, but now it seems they've built out a real roster where you have to compete if you want to get minutes on the floor. I think you agree, but can you expand on that a little bit and how you feel about it? I tend to think of NBA rosters positionally as bigs, wings, 
guards in swings. And the swings are you're either a ball handler or a wing, you're or you can do both, or you're a wing and a, a you know smaller big though those kind of things. So that's kind of how I break it down. When I look at the Pistons, you know, if we you know I'll just kind of go in that order. The big man rotation, it's four guys. You know, I I like to say you throw them all in the steel cage and see who emerges and let them battle it out. And it's this same guys it's been since the trade deadline last year. Jalen Duran, uh, Isaiah Stewart, James Wiseman, Marvin Bagley. And I think those four guys are all going to play and they're all going to battle. And there's going to be times when they'll go small and Boyan Bogdanovich will play some at the four. It's funny because I know some people who think that's his best position at this point in the NBA and maybe probably defensively. It probably is offensively. I think he's fine still as a, a three there. But then you get into that wing group. You've got Bogdanovich. You have, you know, if, if I'm correct, some version of Cade Cunningham, Jaden Ivey, whoever, whoever's playing off ball at the moment is in the mix there. You still have Alec Burks. You have um, Joe Harris, who came Isaiah in. Livers. Isaiah Livers, yeah. And that's, that's funny. I go back to, a, you know, if we, I think we did a similar show a year ago. We're talking about Isaiah Livers being a rotation guy. And this year, it's hard to see how he even cracks that group. Right. So that's where Thompson then falls in. And then you get into the ball handling group, and that's where you've got. Cunningham and Ivy, again, both kind of, they're more of that swing type player in my mind, ball handler slash um, wing. And then you have uh, Monte Morris c- coming in, um, you know, huge uh, new addition. I think he's going to be really important for them. You have Sasser in that group. So it is a group now where if you're playing, you know, you earned your time. Like, like you, you beat out other guys. And like you said, I didn't even get into Killian Hayes. Like, and who knows what happens there? You know, that's that's another guy who you could still see sometimes point guards take a while. Maybe this is the year, you know, with enough pressure from other guys on the roster that he really pushes through and emerges into being a, you know, a viable rotation type player. I'll be honest, I don't expect it. Um, but you know, maybe that's what happens. So, so this is a different kind of Pistons team where we're not looking at it. Cause I felt like the last couple of years, those last two, three spots on the roster were effectively interchangeable with their two-way guys. Whereas like, eh, they're all kind of the same-ish to me, probably not, you know, viable ro- NBA rotation players. And that's not a bad thing. And that's not uncommon. That's kind of how it should be, right? Those are the bottom of your roster guys. But yeah, man, this is a group now that I, I'm enthused about and excited about to see together. And it's also a group that it's, I get it. There's some duplication and, and things like that on the roster, but it's at least a roster that really makes sense for, for the NBA where, where it kind of is at right now, which is also really important. So let's talk about a guy you just brought up. Monty Morris is, you know, acquired pretty much for a second round pick, not pretty much acquired for a second round pick. And I don't feel like Pistons fans are excited about him really at all, at least the ones I, you know, I, I only interact with Twitter, right? Because I don't live in Detroit. So I don't get to walk the streets or talk to the person at, you know, line of Starbucks or whatever. And so I realize I only get a certain piece of the fan base and they're incredible, but I don't feel like Monty Morris is a guy that anybody's excited about. Now, Matt Moderno, who does Believe in Wizards podcast, like he's really good. And he's like, Monty is a really good, like second unit point guard at this point in his career. If you're playing him as a starter, maybe he struggles a little bit or maybe it's it's not great, but if he's coming off the bench, which I assume he will with Caden and Jaden in the starting lineup, this is a really, really solid second unit 
point guard. Do you agree? Is this kind of an underrated move Troy Weaver made by bringing in Monty Morris? Yeah, I think so. You, no one's going to go buy his jersey. Right? Like, like <laughs> very few people are going to be rocking the Morris jersey in in uh, Detroit this year. But that's that's a great evaluation of him. I think you know. Tyus Jones is probably going to start this year. It looks like, um, so I think, you know, now we're back to, you know, uh, Morris might be the best backup point guard in the NBA. A little out of his depth as a starter, I thought. Um, I, I think that's totally fair. I think some of the things when he started in Denver while Jamal Murray was out, those were papered over a little bit because, uh, Nikola Jokic is there, right? Like, like, and it's, you know, Nikola Jokic would make me look good as the starting point guard, uh, for the Nuggets, at least on offense. Defensively, he probably couldn't help me very much. Um, but Morris, I think the, the big thing is there are going to be games, especially early in the season, where I think the team may play better when Morris and Burks come in as the backup to Cunningham and Ivy, who I assume will start. And the team may actually function a little bit better and look a little bit better at times. And that's okay, right? Like that's a fine um thing to to be in because what they're gonna do is they're gonna help the kids, right? They're gonna help those guys along. And the big thing I think what what Monty Williams will ask him to do is organize, right? Just keep keep us organized, keep keep things flowing, keep things moving, you know, get things going, you know, in the right direction. You may see a spot where if Cade Cunningham isn't the offense is kind of bogged down and kind of messy. You may see it be, hey, go go take a breath. Let Morris get out there with the other guys. Let's see if we can kind of get things moving. So I think having him and Burks and Harris's second unit guys is going to be huge for this team because their big problem was even in the games I felt like where the starters kept things close, they went to that bench group and then that forget it. It was over because a lot of those guys weren't NBA guys last year. Now you have viable NBA players in there, and I think that'll really help the team uh, you know, stay in these games and, and uh, play you know, meaningful basketball deeper into the year than they have. From Ryan Anton, and he reminds us, Monty Morris is from Flint, Michigan, so definitely a little sure. more excitement there. And then I got to ask you, Keith, Doug says, and Doug wanted me to ask you, I don't know if you recognize it, he is a front office show listener. Yeah, yeah, him. Doug, not Dave. Doug, not Dave, exactly. <laughs> yep. He will be so excited that you remember that. But yeah. how does the jumper look, Keith? I have a feeling that you have a sneaky, nice jump <laughs> shot here, Keith. The, the jump shot is... So I could do two things as a basketball player. I could shoot and I could pass. Um, I could do precious little else. I, I I'm I'm about five foot nine. I've been five foot nine since sixth grade. So I had like this dreams of like, all right, I'm gonna be like, you know, well into my six feet and all this stuff. So I, you know, typical tall kid when I was younger. I was a post player back then, you know, and this is when you had post players. Um, so I can actually kind of post up a little bit despite that. But all I could do is shoot and pass. Couldn't really handle the ball very well, which at five foot nine did not do me well when everybody else caught me and passed me. So my role on uh throughout my high school team was I was our designated shooter. Like that's what I came in, that that's what I did. But we're talking, I just realized like I missed my 25th year high school reunion last year. So it's been a while. I don't know how, how, uh, how, how wet the jumper is anymore these days, but I, I kind of think shooters can always shoot, right? Like, you know, I, I don't think that really goes away. So, but I, my, my days of playing 
full full court and everything else. So th- th- those days are long since past. Yeah, I'm in the same boat. But no, I think, you know, if you can shoot, you show up, you, you ball in the hands, it starts to feel good, take a couple and then you get it back. That's it. Get a couple in. I guarantee I can still win a free throw shooting contest. I, I know that that was my bread and butter was, you know, I was a pretty money free throw shooter. And I, I know that's probably never going to go away. No, never. All right. We're going to go a short break. When we come back, you mentioned Joe Harris. I want to ask you about that. And if Troy Weaver could have pulled off a bigger move. We are here today with Keith Smith. Uh, Omari's on vacation, probably recovering from his 18 holes of golf on the first time he ever went golfing. I don't know what that man was thinking, but he's going to need a whole day to recover. There's no way he made it through that mentally. Hope he used the cart. <laughs> oh my gosh. I'm like, emotionally, you're going to be spent because that is, it's a tough sport if you're not any good at it. And I can't imagine he was very good on his first. Maybe, maybe Omari's a natural athlete. Maybe he'll never come back. Maybe yeah. he's found a new, new career, <laughs> career uh, path. So that's why I thought I said, Omari, that's an expensive hobby and a very time-consuming hobby. You better not be giving up the podcast to go do that. But Joe Harris, Keith, um, a lot of Pistons fans say Troy Weaver, they were okay with Troy Weaver taking a quote-unquote sin contract, but they wanted more in return. Essentially, you take on Joe Harris. A lot of people think he's washed and that Troy didn't really get enough in return or that you could have used that $20 million on somebody else. So I know that's a whole bunch of questions in one, but let's unpack that. First, is there is Joe Harris washed? That's the first thing I want to ask. Or is he somebody that can help this team in some way? Because we have talked about in the first 20 minutes, Keith, this team needs floor spacing and shooting. And I think at the very least, he's probably going to be able to do that, if nothing else. Yeah, I mean, if he's washed, he's washed as a 43% three-point shooter, which is pretty good. Now, you're not getting much else out of Joe Harris, right? I will say he's a better cutter than he gets credit for, and he can drive a closeout for a basket, and he's a smart ball mover, right? He'll make that second pass, so he'll keep the ball in rotation and moving around if he draws uh, you know, a tight close. But you're, you're, he's, he's got paid. The Pistons will now be paying him to shoot the ball. That's just the reality of what he is. So I don't think he's washed. I, I think injuries have been an issue. Um, over the last couple of seasons, he's got to stay healthy, got to stay on the court. Cause if he can't do that, you're in, you know, then now you're kind of sitting there with a, you know, $20 million, you know, salary hole uh, on your team. But, you know, we'll assume that he's going to be past that. This is probably for him a pretty big year because he might have one more decent contract in him if he shows out this year. So that's going to be important as well. So ho- hopefully, you know, he gets and stays healthy. And then he's just going to give them shooting off the bench, maybe starts. You know, I wouldn't be surprised if he's kind of the spot starter that they go to on occasion when they need one um, there just because he's a very easy guy to plug in and just say, do what you do. But again, Going back to what we said at the beginning, this is about Cade Cunningham, breaks down the defense, makes the right read, continues to do that because these shots are going in. Same thing for Jaden Ivey. It's Sasser, Thompson, to the extent they get on the floor. Same thing for those guys as well. Even the bigs, if they're making a pass off the short roll or they get it inside, they need to make a kickout pass. Like You, you want to see those shots go in because that's too many missed shots. And, and you know, as a player and as a coach, guys get frustrated because then it's like, all right, if you're not going to do it, I got to do it myself. And then that's when everything tends to go off the rails. So yeah, I, I, I think it's, 
we we'll get into the other stuff in a minute, but I think as a player, fine. Like I think he'll be a perfectly, you know, good rotation player for them. He seems like the perfect 11th, 12th man who he helps whenever, like you say, he, he ends up being a starter because you want to keep your second unit intact. Yeah. So Boyan misses a game. All right, let's start Joe Harris tonight. Ivy rolls an ankle and is out for a couple of games. Let's start Joe Harris. And then that second unit can keep its chemistry and all of that. And then you know, somebody goes zone on a night or you just, nobody's making shots. You put in Joe Harris. Okay. The second part, Keith, because I think at the end of the day, I think a lot of Pistons fans would concede that even if they don't fully agree with it. Was there something better Troy Weaver could have done with his 20 minutes? And I know we don't always know the answers. And everybody's like, he could have waited. He did this right away. And I think you would... He tampers. Everybody tampers. He knew what he could and could not sign before whatever the date and time was. I think we all agree. And I'm kind of like you. I don't care. Like, it's part of... I don't care. But... Was there something, Keith? Do you think there was something out there that he could have been more patient or he could have pursued harder? You know, and what was that or what could it have been? Sure. And I, I mean, I know and remember very clearly as this was all coming together live, Pistons fans losing their mind because they were like, why are we not making a run at Cam Johnson? Yes. And we just made it impossible to get Cam Johnson by helping the Nets keep Cam Johnson. Sure, in theory, yes, they could have made a run at Cam Johnson. The problem is with restricted free agency, unless you vastly overpay the player, you're just not going to get them. Because if it's anything approaching a fair value deal, and Cam Johnson, he, no, he didn't get a max, but he wasn't all that far off um, a max deal, especially in first-year salary. It's they, they just weren't going to get him, right? They, they were going to have to, they were going to have to give him a full four-year max deal, which at that point, starts to become maybe a little bit questionable to, to where you're going and then things you might have to do down the line with this team and the like. So that's that's kind of part one of that is I, I just don't buy into the whole they helped the Nets keep Cam Johnson because I just don't know that they knew. And to your point, pretty sure Tor Troy Weaver had a fairly good handle. And because he's now done a couple of trades with Sean Marks, I wouldn't be surprised if there was a conversation of, hey, you matching anything reasonable and Sean Marks was like, yeah, we're gonna and, and now someone will say they they're they're playing him, right? They're you know, you know, he he played him. But I, I just think that's more of a understanding. Now, other stuff in free agency, yeah, maybe. I mean, the problem is we didn't see a lot of straight salary dumps of contracts. The ones we did see, I don't know that make a lot of sense. Um like they it would not have made sense for the Pistons to ever be involved in John Collins and trying to get him um, through a salary dump. Um, you know, you could have, could you have gotten involved in a, a, you know, guy like Fred Van Vliet? Yeah, maybe, but I think they want the ball in Cade Cunningham's hands, in Jaden Ivey's hands. If you you sign Fred Van Vliet, you're, you're basically saying he's going to have the ball a lot there. You know, and then, you know, you don't want to mess around with Dylan Brooks, right? That that's probably not where you're at as a franchise. Could they have made an offer sheet toss to Reeves? Sure, but the Lakers made it pretty clear they they would match. You know, now that's where we could say, well, they missed out on the opportunity to hurt the Lakers, but I don't. They're not. They're they're not there yet, right? Where they're worried about hurting the Lakers, even even not where the Spurs are at, um, because they're a conference rival of the Lakers. So I, I just don't necessarily buy that there were other things that they missed out on doing just because this year, I don't think those opportunities were there like they maybe have been in years past. 
two names. One is going to be close to home. I think a lot of fans would say, why didn't they get it on the Grant Williams sign and trade? Is that one you could understand, especially with the contract that Grant ended up getting? If you were saying, we're going to let Isaiah Stewart leave, then okay. I think that makes more sense. Because otherwise, all you're doing is adding, now, now you've added a fifth guy to that cage match, right? And it's like, at some point now, you can play four if you're committed to playing two bigs a lot. You can't play five. There just isn't the room. And none of those guys can, I know the Kings mess around with Marvin Bagley as a three, but come on, that's, you know, that's the thing you do when you're a really terrible team, right? And that's, and that's fine. Um, Grant Williams, very, very occasionally has played the three, but again, not really something you can do. So yeah, if, if you were willing to say whether it was, we're not going to extend Stewart or, one of the other guys, we're just kind of going to let this run its course and then watch him leave. Yeah, then maybe you could have got involved on Grant, but I, I don't know. That's one where that gets a little a little trickier, you know, for me. I I I just I don't see the positional fit making a ton of sense there. And then I assume the same answer then for PJ Washington because that was another yeah. one where as that thing drug on and drug on, it's like, hey, I mean, they didn't have the cap space eventually, but they could have kept the cap space and then offered PJ and you know to see what, you know as you mentioned you mentioned Austin Reeves. I think Austin Reeves is the poster child now for restricted free agency is just really hard and you know it's tough on the player because you know now Austin is one of the you know most team-friendly contracts, which I hate to say, but it just, it is because he was a restricted free agent and no teams ended up biting on it, even though I still think the Spurs should have thrown the bag at him and just to see, and I think we all agree the Lakers probably would have matched anything, but it would have been interesting. I think they could have made it interesting at least a little bit, but it's just hard to play restricted free agency in general, it seems like. It's a very broken process. And and I say that as someone who wants the players to have a little bit more freedom of movement. Yeah. I get it from the team side, right? You you draft a guy, you invest in the guy, you want him there. But I look at like Austin Reeves. Yes, the Lakers developed him 100%, but the Lakers didn't invest in him. Like it's not like a first round pick. So, so I kind of, I've hit things where, Right, there's this level of starter criteria in the NBA where that increases qualifying offers and the like. I would like to see if they're doing restricted free agency where it is like, let's use a guy like Grant Williams, right? Where it's all right. So for Grant Williams, all right, he's not a he's not a no brainer max guy, obviously, but this is a guy who's he's a starter level player. I think we can all agree with that, whether that means he actually starts or he just plays the equivalency in role and minutes to a starter. So you just kind of go, go there. And I think what you're looking, what I would like to see them do is create levels where, Hey, unless you're, unless you're going to this number on a player, they become an unrestricted free agent. So what happens is, so like, let's say Grant Williams, let's just say we call it the mid level. Cause that's what he signed for then the Celtics can say, we will match anything up to a mid-level deal at least. So Grant Williams knows I have a mid-level deal from Boston at the minimum waiting for me. Then what happens is between there and the max, if another team wants to come in and say, we want to give them 30 million a year, go ahead and do it. And then it's on Boston to match or not. And then that way he still becomes a restricted free agent, but you can't play these games and then get the guy for, seven million dollars a year because you know because nobody wanted to play so then they become an unrestricted so i'd like to see see a tweak but that's obviously 
that'll have to wait now several years because that would be a change to the CBA and down the line. And the problem is I don't think the players are worried about it enough because I think they're looking at it as, hey, the max guys are getting the max anyway and it doesn't really matter. And that's who drives and controls a lot of what gets negotiated and doesn't. And the teams, obviously, they love restricted free agency because they don't want to lose their guys you know, for a song. Let's talk about a guy that the Pistons did give an extension to. And I believe, Wes, fact check me here. This is the first Pistons draft pick since Drummond. Is that right? To get a first round pick to get an extension? Is that the right name? I might have the wrong big here. But Isaiah Stewart, Keith, gets an extension this summer from Troy Weaver. What did you think about that contract? Because this was another one. Isaiah Stewart for the beef stew, and this is the guy that kind of embodies Detroit basketball. A lot of Pistons fans were like, this is a way overpay. This is ridiculous. This is crazy. It's a little bit more than the mid-level, I believe, depending on how the cap increases, especially early on. You came on the last time with us. You're not even necessarily the biggest Isaiah Stewart believer and fan, not to put words in your mouth, but from listening to your podcast, because I listen to you guys as often as I can, you and Trevor both seemed kind of fine with this. Like this wasn't that crazy of a contract. So I always look at these things in two perspectives. One first is I take all other contexts out of it and in a vacuum. Do I think 15 million a year is fine for Isaiah Stewart? I do. I, I think that's okay. I, I have no issue with that. As you mentioned, we're getting really close to that being the mid-level amount. Do I think he's a mid-level guy? Yeah, probably. It, at least close enough in that range that by the end of this deal, I, I think you know, everybody will be like, okay, it's fine. Then I look at it in the framework of the team as a whole. Well, one, $15 million is never going to sink you. right? We're, we're, we're really close to that being 10% of the cap. So, not not a big deal. My issue for Detroit is, are what are we doing with Bagley and Wiseman and Doran? Like, like where are we going? Because now that's, if all of a sudden, let's say all of them, and I know Bagley's under this number, but let's say Wiseman and Duran both play well and look pretty good and the Pistons re-sign them. And let's say now we're at, you know, 15 million a year for them too. All right, now all of a sudden we're at like 60 million plus, you know, you know roughly, a, you know, almost half about two fifths of our cap, you know, invested into, you know, all these role players. Like, like, where are we going? Like, that's where I start to struggle a little bit with this is because for me, that becomes somewhat of a question mark on, is that just the best allocation of your resources, knowing you're going to have to do other things? Cause I like the veteran role players, but someone getting a little long in the tooth, you're going to have to replace them. And then what you don't want to be doing is sitting there two years from now saying, man, you know, we could get in the market on player X, perfect free agent. We're ready to win. We've proven we're pretty good. This guy's interested, but we just can't get there because we're, we're 15 million shy. And then you're like, oh, no. Now at that point, you hope all right, we can salary dump Isaiah Stewart and move on with no issue. But, you know, that's my thing. If if now he took 200 something three pointers last year, if he made those at 34%, 35%, and starts to tick that up, I'll start to feel a lot better about this. Because as I've said before, I think right now his ceiling is energy big off the bench, play really hard, mix things up. He's a guy I think Monty Williams will love when just it's that random Tuesday night and the team starts slow. He's going to throw him out there and be like, go. I think that's when you're going to see him and Thompson come in. He's going to be like, 
I don't even care if they're bad things, just make things happen, right? Crash into guys, run the floor, hit, hit, you know, players, do all that stuff. Like, let's go, go crazy. Let's, you know, get, get everybody kind of woken up here. And that's fine. You know what they paid him for that role. So Wes clarified this for me. Drummond's was for any second contract. Max Seal is any actual technical rookie extension. Oh, so yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> so I, w- I want to ask a general question to build off what you just said. So if I told you Isaiah Stewart was a third big that could play the four or the five, was shooting 35, 36% from three on the attempts we're talking about. And I think Isaiah Stewart is a pretty switchable big. I think he does that defensively. Is that good value on this contract, especially if the Pistons eventually make the playoffs two, three years from now, where I think that type of big is actually more valuable because he can switch a little bit and theoretically space the floor. I know there's some ifs there. I understand it. But that's who I think Isaiah Stewart can truly get to. Maybe they're paying for projection, but sometimes you have to do that. There's also an aspect of, I believe he's the soul of this team. Cade Cunningham is the heart, but Isaiah Stewart is the soul. And I think he got paid for that as well. But in general, if I told you that's who the player was, is $15 million a year good value for that player? 100%. Well, without even a question. If if he becomes what you described, done. Easy. That's really, really simple. Because then what you're also looking at it as a third big, you have a lot of flexibility in your other two bigs and what they can be and what, what you could kind of do and develop there because a guy like that then could play alongside Wiseman, alongside Duran, whoever it is, you know, that develops there um, in that situation. So yeah, I, I'm, I'm there on that. I look at contracts kind of this way. It's, 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 it's not a perfect filter, but I look at it this way. Your first contract, it is what it is when you come into the league because you're confined by the rookie scale. Your second contract is all about what can you be? Now, some guys have already shown that, right? Like, like Anthony Edwards, for example, just extended his deal this summer. He's already shown he's a 20 plus point per game guy, probably going to be even much higher than that. And he's a star worth the full max. But a lot of times you're paying for what a guy can be. The third contract is for what you are. You're going to get paid for what you are as a player. The fourth contract. Generally, it's a little bit more of it's what you were as a player. So you're kind of paying in the future for what a guy was. And you kind of know all right, by the end of this, it's probably going to be a bad, um, you know, uh, uh, contract by the end. So it kind of is what it is, right? So you, you kind of land in that spot where, all right, we're going to pay him because we still need him for the next couple of years. And then by the end, we'll figure it out to deal with it. But, you know, that that's kind of how I look at the frame of contracts for those guys. So Stewart's firmly now in that phase of what can he be? So I, th- I think, you know, if, yeah, if he can turn into, you know, a, a viable third big on a good playoff team, $15 million a year, a year is beyond fair for that role. All right, we're going to go ahead and go to break right here. And then when we come back, we've been looking kind of at the past, Keith. I want us to look into the future with this roster, where it's at, and the flexibility that Troy Weaver still has. We'll do that right after this short break. So, Keith, I don't know if you know this or not, but we like to talk food as well on the Pistons Pulse. And so before we get into the future of this roster, I got to ask you, because I tweeted this out and I got some interesting takes, especially from my man, Wes, who we completely disagreed on this. Strawberry or grape jelly 
on a PB&J sandwich? What is your preference and can you do both? So if I have a choice, I'm going with strawberry. Okay, um, my guy. I, I, I really like the, the the strawberry jelly jam. I've never really fully understood the difference. And Somebody I know came at that with jam too. They came at yeah. me on, I was like, I don't know the difference. What are you talking about? Yeah, and I know there is some level of difference there, but whatever. And somebody will explain it in a way I won't understand and get it. But you know, strawberry, whatever we're calling it. Yeah. I'll go with that over, over the grape, but I'll eat if it's only grape. That's a bit, you know, sometimes, um, you might be like, like at a restaurant, you get toast in the morning. If grapes all I got, I'll put grape on, on my toast and, and go with it. I don't have any real problem, but I, I do like, uh, you know, strawberry jelly. I'm, I'm, uh, fan, but the peanut butter to me, I like crunchy peanut butter, Okay, which is a, that's an issue here in the Smith house. Cause I'm the only one who likes it. So we always have the little small, um, jar of crunchy for me. And then the, the, the big jar of creamy, um, here, but what tops it all, I don't know if you, cause this is like a new England thing, but fluffernutters, um, which is, is marshmallow fluff and peanut butter. Like that's the, the marshmallow cream, I guess they'll call it other places. That's the, that, that's the, the goat. Uh, if you're going with a sandwich there that you gotta, you know, kind of make on the fly. That's a, a lot of those were consumed when I was much, much younger. Wes says jelly is with juice, jam is with berries. So whatever. Um, sure. He also hates <laughs> strawberries, so I don't listen to anything he says anymore. We're looking for a new producer in these episodes. He's going to be on next <laughs> week and then, and then that's it. No, I, we love Wes, but definitely something we disagreed on. My reaction to thinking I'm getting a strawberry peanut butter and jelly sandwich and ending up with a grape is the same as my reaction of if I think I'm getting a chocolate chip cookie and it ends up being an oatmeal raisin cookie. It is oh. utter disappointment <laughs> in both of those situations. Um, I, that's not completely true. I, I, won't, I will eat a grape peanut butter and jelly if I have to. Man, I'm so sad if I think I'm getting a chocolate chip cookie and it's an oatmeal raisin. I, I, I'm so sad. Here's the key thing I've learned about PB and J, whatever form of jelly you want is, if you're making it for a sandwich that you're not going to eat like right then, it, like like if you're packing a school lunch, you have to put a little bit of peanut butter on both pieces of bread Ooh. and then put the jelly in the middle because otherwise the jelly just seeps into the bread. Okay. It seeps through and makes a big mess. So you put a little bit of peanut butter on both sides. That way it kind of compacts it and holds it in and all, off you go. And this is where some someone will say something along the lines of like, just eat an uncrustable and I can't do it. Like uncrustables are fine, but give, give me the, the, the made sandwich over that any day. Th that's actually a really quality tip there. And this is Pistons related because as we all know, true Pistons fans know Kate Cunningham loves PB and J. So our face of the franchise needs to hear this part of the episode so he can get these. I've also heard that frying them or whatever is like really, really good. Also, um, Wes says he loves oatmeal raisin cookies. So Wes can just be fired now because he... We <laughs> I don't mind an oatmeal raisin cookie. Oh, but man. to your point, I got to know. Like, I, yeah, if I, if I think I'm getting a chocolate chip and it's oatmeal raisin, yeah, we're going to have a problem. Like, I'm, I'm probably not real, real happy. And it's funny because it's always like you go to a barbecue, and you're like, oh, there's some cookies. And you go and it's like, it's all picked through and it's just the you know, <laughs> rows of oatmeal raisin that are left. And yep. you know, and then I'm like, all right, well, I'll settle for those. But yeah, it's a, uh, yeah, good. Yeah. As we're talking here, man, uh, spoilers for anybody, Lithuania knocked off team. USA. Wow. Yeah. Oh. I, so anybody who's watching the live stream, whether live with us right now, first, thank you. If you're watching on YouTube a little later on, you see Keith kind of look, he's got his TV 
Eon. I have it recorded. I've been following, so it's not a spoiler for me. I was knew I'd see the result anyway, but I'll go back and watch later. But yeah, they were down big. They came back and sounds like they lost. So let, let's get back into this because... Team I, USA still in the World Cup. That, okay, this is not so an elimination game. That's what so I was talking to Wes about clear. before. It's not... We're not in like the knockout round or something. There's like a second and then we get into yeah. bracket play. Is that coming up yeah. a little bit later? Yeah, so they don't do it the way the soccer World Cup does it, where it's you play your group, the top two teams go, and you move on. The top two teams then got put in a second group, and then the two teams out of that group. And part of that is because those games are used to help uh, determine who qualifies for the Olympics, Okay, as far as I understand this. So they're still going through now, now moving forward, because they'll play next, I think it's on Tuesday, um, that every game is this is okay. it. Like, then you're out if you lose. Okay, perfect. All right, let's get back into this. That was a lot of fun. I, I think sometimes, Keith, we could just bring you on. We could just talk about whatever instead of having the Pistons outline and it'd still be a lot of fun. But let's, I want to ask you this one for sure. And we're not going to get into everything we talked about and on that we had on the outline, but Pistons fans are very weary of cap space, Keith, because of how it's been used in the past and you know, what are they going to use it on? And this cap space isn't worth it. And they just keep pushing it down the road for no reason. They have these expirings, but what does it matter? All those vets we've talked about, Morris, Harris, Burks, Boyan, all those guys essentially on expirings. I know Boyan's is a little bit different, but 2 million guaranteed. Can you calm the fan base down a little bit in terms of, okay, yeah, maybe so-and-so is not an unrestricted free agent, what are the other ways Troy Weaver in the front office could use that cap space? Or maybe you agree with the fan base. Maybe you're like, hey, this is all pointless. It's not going to come to any fruition to, to really create anything. Just talk us through where the Detroit's at and how this could be used outside of X big name free unrestricted free agent. We kind of know how it can be used, right? You use it in trades. Um, now, I think if things go this season the way I think the Pistons are hoping they will and they have cap space, you're using it to be really additive to the roster moving forward where it's like our, where we're really trying to get some guys here who can be a part of our next good team, our next playoff team, whatever it is, instead of being in the boat of, yeah, we're doing this to collect assets by eating bad contracts, but can obviously be used either one of those ways or it can be used clearly, to go out and sign a player or two. Uh, we saw Houston was probably the biggest free agent player uh, this past year, or this past offseason, I should say, where they went and added a whole bunch of guys to try to be better. You know, Fred Van Vliet, Dylan Brooks, some other guys that they brought in, Jock Landale, Jeff Green, and the like. Similar position to the Pistons, right? Been a few years of rebuilding now since they were a playoff team. They're, they're kind of taking the approach of let's 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 push this forward right let we spend a ton of money let's get right back into playoff contention whereas you know Detroit I think is still slow playing it a little bit with hey we've got some young guys who unfortunately we didn't get to see a whole lot of so we gotta we gotta find out a little bit more what we have before we go all in on that it, there's no there's no one right answer. And time will tell if there's wrong answers on either way, right? But I, I think for the Pistons, the big key, what I always say at this point is, what's the good thing is, is to have flexibility. The worst thing you can be is a bad team that has no flexibility because now you're locked in and it's like, this is a mess and we there's no 
solving it? Like, where are we going with this? And I think, you know, if you're going to be, be a bad team and, and I'll use bad team in quotes, right? Cause we don't know yet. You just don't want to be locked in right long-term. You, you don't want to be sitting there where it's like, man, we're one of the worst teams in the league and we have no hope of salary cap space or anything. Kind of, We'll see what happens with the Damian Lillard trade, but kind of where Portland is sitting right now is a little bit of like not very good, and you know you don't really have any cap flexibility moving forward. So I think for Detroit, the key is I've got them projected about thirty-eight million right now. That could easily climb to over fifty if they wanted it to. Um, you know, by um, getting uh, moving on from Bogdanovich, especially there. Uh, so that's you know a way you can get there. But I think for now it's kind of. You know, we're let's see what these vets bring. It's important they're all on expiring or like you said, pseudo expiring contracts where it's just kind of let's see who fits, who doesn't around these kids. Let's see where we go this year. And then we'll make all of our major decisions as we go into the summer. Okay, so I think we could critique every individual move that Troy Weaver's made building this roster the last couple of years, right? And I don't even think we can fully judge him yet because Cade has only played like 72 total games. Asar hasn't played yet. And really, this whole thing is going to revolve around what I call the true core four now being what they hope they're going to be. But big picture then, Keith, with what you just talked about, would you say you look positively on what Troy Weaver has done up to this point. Now, there's some big decisions coming, right? Eventually, you have to tie up long-term money and make a big trade and maybe trade away your draft picks for that one star that you get one chance at. That stuff's coming. But overall, do you feel like this team has young talent with cap flexibility? The draft pick situation isn't great because it's owed to the Knicks. I want to ask you about that in just a second. But would you say you look favoritively, positively on what has happened big picture thus far? You know, more uh, positive than negative, for okay. sure. Um, I'm not super duper enthused on where they're at because I think, I just think there's been some curious decisions. Like I didn't really, I never fully got who they were bidding against with Marvin Bagley on that contract. This Stewart contract, like you said, it's fine, but it's where are we going with the other guys with this? But I have no major issue with anything else they've done. I think they've drafted, I'm going to say the right guys in their situations where they were. Like I thought Cade Cunningham was the no-brainer number one. When they picked him, I thought Jaden Ivey was the right pick. I thought Thompson was the right pick this year. I thought Dern was a really good kind of second pick. Um, not it. Well, yeah, I guess a year ago. Um, you know, So I think that was good. I thought it was great to get Wiseman for... I know it wasn't nothing because Sadiq Bay, but I think think the Sadiq Bay situation kind of run its course. I think they were clearly going to move on from him, um, whether it was going to be this offseason or weren't going to sign him to an extension or a new contract. So, um, so to get him for a guy who was just seemed like wasn't really part of the plans anymore is fine. I'm still a big believer in James Wiseman. I think all the talent is there. I think it's just putting it together and it's funny, you know, they're at the opposite end of the spectrum, but bigs and point guards sometimes just take a while, right? Those positions take a while to to figure it out and to learn, you know, what you are um, in the NBA. And I think Wiseman's in that spot. So, yeah, I, I'm, I'm definitely more positive than, than negative. I, I'm just, I'm not in a spot where I'm like, oh my God, he nailed this rebuild fully. Like, look at how amazing and asset rich this team is and moving forward and everything like that. And and part of that is, like you said, we, we haven't seen 
They're not filling guys yet. If we had, you know, 140 games of Cade Cunningham under our belt, I would feel a lot better than, you know, basically one season's worth of games. So that's where, all right, let's see where, where this is kind of going. Let's see what he develops into because that's kind of what everything hinges on, right? If, if he doesn't become an all-star level guy, None of it matters. This all kind of falls apart, right? None, none of the rest of it really matters. And guess what? You're rebuilding again. It won't be Troy Weaver. It'll be somebody else, you know, making those calls and those decisions. So, but yeah, it's, it's you know, good. And I think the commitment to Monty Williams was big because I think that also says we're committed to seeing this through over a number of years here. This is not a win today and have to push forward right now kind of thing. So, you know, I, I think that's that's a, that's an important thing too. It's funny because nobody was talking about the Pistons before Cade went crazy with the USA Select team. And then Cade is that dude and all the reports. And then every <laughs> national podcast I listen to is talking about Cade Cunningham and the Pistons. And this is like, you, you said it, I mean, if Cade isn't the dude, if Cade isn't face of the franchise, it's all getting broken down anyway. Now, you know, maybe Jaden just shocks us all or a saw or something. Like there's a other less likely scenarios, but at the end of the day, it's really Kate. Let me ask you a question about assets. You just brought that up. The pick that is currently owed to the Knicks is, I believe it's top 18 protected again this year. And then it starts to finally go down 16, 13, nine, not something like that. How does it normally work to release those protections? What would the Pistons have to do to get, let's say they wanted to make a big move this offseason, Keith, and they want to get rid of 24 to the Knicks now so they can trade 26, 28, 30 for player X superstar. What, what in the past, what have those looked like? Yeah, so th this is a thing that happens once every few years where a pick is protected is not set to convey. So, so you're right. It's, I believe top 18 protected this year. So let's say the Pistons are not one of the top 10, 11 teams in the league, or I guess top 12 teams in the league. So they're keeping it. What they could do is then you, you have to work a second transaction. And what you're doing in that point is you're basically, you're trading the protected portion there. It could be something as simple as, you know, Trade us a top 55 protected second that's never going to come. And hey, Knicks, you're getting a pick now. And a lot of that would be you make that decision based on two things. One, right? If it's a top five pick again, you're probably not doing that, right? You're probably saying, no, we're good. We'll let the protection roll over. If it is a, let's say it's the 15th pick, then what you're looking at is, all right, well, the 15th pick cap hold is, you know, $4 million or whatever it works out to be. So we need that $4 million, so we need to spend. Or something that is going to become a problem here for Detroit somewhat quickly potentially is roster spots, right? Because you do have a lot of young guys on the team. So either we need the roster spot or we need the money to spend. Then what we're looking at is let's trade that, that pick off to the Knicks. It can be something simple like that. It can be something bigger where it's like, hey, trade us, yeah, I don't know, Jericho Sims or something like that, you know, in a deal, you know, there and you kind of go forward that way. We'll get you out on just a couple more. First, I want to ask about this. And then I do want to talk about your Celtics before we close it out. From Doug, a fan of both of our podcasts, does Keith think the new CBA is having the desired effect the owners wanted now that the offseason is winding down? I want to add to that, Keith, is there anything that's shown up early here where you're like, man, I don't think they saw that or factored that in. And this could be a real issue over the next, how many ever seasons we have of this CBA. 
Yeah, I don't know issue over multiple seasons, but I think, so look at Phoenix, for example. Phoenix was like, okay, so all these super harsh penalties are coming in for being over the second apron or a super tax team, as I like to call it. So what Phoenix basically said was, we have a one-year kind of grace period, which that one year, which was this year, was intended to, hey, get your stuff in order, right? Get get your books in line and try to go. We saw the Warriors make a move towards that where it was, let's clear out Jordan Poole's long-term money so we have a little bit more long-term flexibility. We'll bring in Chris Paul, who's really under contract for this year, and then we'll see. So now with... um the Suns, what they said was, okay, we have one more year to add a ton of money. Let's do it. Let's go nuts, right? Celtics, to some extent, said we have one more year to add a big, big contract. Let's go get Chris Tapps Porzingis right now. Let's do that. So what you have kind of working in those situations is these couple teams, I think, did things that weren't necessarily intended to, to be done, um, which was, hey, you were supposed to use this year to kind of get things in line. And they're like, well, you gave us one more year to add. So, and they'll pay the piper down the line, right? It all comes back to, to be paid eventually. So it will come back to, to go. So now you kind of get to that point with, with that one. And other things that are in there, I think, I think the um, raising of the bottom really was something big this year. We do not, we're, we're in, you know, early September. Normally we have one, two, maybe three teams sitting on a mountain of cap space. And what they basically did was they said, Hey, when the off season ends, when, you know, the season starts, we're going to put a cap hold between the floor and whatever you have on the books and bring you up to the floor artificially. Because what they didn't want was, okay, we're sitting on $35 million in cap space going into the year, and then they just eat it with a player. What they wanted in free agency, they wanted that money going to players then. You know, let's cycle it to teams. I don't know that it exactly went the way they wanted to go, because ideally it would have been you're spending that either cap space or you're spending your exceptions or whatever the case may be. And in the case of like a team like the Spurs, they did it by eating like five contracts and saying, hey, we'll just take all these contracts in. And that's how they, they ended up getting up to the floor. So it but everything with the CBA, the way the league, the teams, the, the PA and the players look at it is it takes about two, three years to kind of sort through and figure out. We, we, we won't know here for, for a little while yet. Uh, what we don't know. And, you know, that, that'll be where, you know, guys will start, oh, hey, we can kind of do this instead. And, and the really smart cap guys in the league and stuff will sort through and figure those things out. So it's going to take a little bit. But for the most part, I think the league, they, everybody's over the cap or really close to it right now. Everybody's up over the floor now. Charlotte was the last team to get there. We knew they would get there when the Washington situation resolved itself. So, yeah, so I think that part of it worked, but but we're going to see because right now, you know, we've got, as we've always had, a whole bunch of really expensive teams and a few teams that aren't so expensive and then, you know, 20 teams in the middle. Let's get you out on this one, Keith. It was a busy offseason for your Celtics. They, you know, extend Jalen Brown to a huge contract. Marcus Smart is gone. Christoph Sprzingis is in. We already talked a little bit about Grant Williams. Just your your overall thoughts on the offseason and what they did and where you see this team uh, going into the season. Yeah, they're a different team 
now. Um, in a lot of ways, the heart and soul is gone in Marcus Smart and to a lesser extent, Grant Williams, but not a you know, massively lesser extent. He was a very important player for them. They're more offensively versatile now. Um, you can play a lot of different ways. You can play really big um, with Porzingis and another big, whether it be Rob Williams or Al Horford. Um, you can also go small and put Porzingis at the five, bring in another ball handler. <clears throat> Their guard group was a little too crowded. Um, somebody, most often Derek White, was pushed to playing off the ball because Smart had the ball a lot, Malcolm Brogdon has the ball a lot, and the two wings have the ball a lot. So they're just a very different team. I don't think they're anywhere near as versatile defensively anymore. Um, so you're going to see them probably go to a much more um, conventional drop style of defenses, not as much switching. You know, they, they may do some zoning on the back, switching up top kind of principles. I think that's probably going to be something they go to quite a bit. And a lot of pressures on Derek White. He's now going to be the main ball handler, main playmaker uh, for this group. And, of course, as always, a lot of pressure on Tatum and Brown because they can both score. They can go get 30, you know, basically whenever they need to. It's now can you get 30 and get five or six assists and keep the ball moving and get guys involved? So so we'll see. They're a little more offensively bent, but they, they're at the point where they had to do something different. Yep. You, you, you've knocked on that door now for too many years. It's time to, you know, kind of go in a slightly different direction and, and become, you know, at least see, you know, what, what it looks like moving forward. Thank you, Keith. Um, let everybody know where they can find you. We still call it Twitter here. I don't know what you yeah, want to call it. But yeah. yeah. So let them know where they can find you. Twitter, obviously the podcast, the show, no longer the best kept secret in basketball podcasting. I think you guys are very well known and it's much deserved. But thank you for joining us. Let everybody know where they can find you. Yeah, over on uh, Twitter, you can find me at Keith Smith NBA over there. Um, right now I'm tweeting less than usual just because it's more in the morning as the World Cup games are being played. Um, this year, I am not covering the Celtics direct anymore. Um, stepped away from that to prioritize some some other things um, in both work and life. So, so we'll kind of see how that goes. I feel really good about it. I think when the first game tips off, it's going to feel very weird um, to not have a document and be making a million notes and ready to write a post-game column and all that. But um, you can find all my written work over on Spot Track. Um, I can say with all confidence, we have the best publicly available NBA salary and roster information there. If you want it, it's there. We're constantly tweaking and adjusting our pages. So we talked a little bit about draft picks here. You can now see right on the spot track pages what the draft pick situation is at the bottom. You can see what draft rates retained the teams have, what their exceptions are and all that stuff. And then I provide a ton of written content over there. Just did a thing all about Giannis because you know, he said he wasn't going to extend. So uh, we do a thing called the next contract series where we look at here's what all the different options are out there. And then kind of here's where we think this could head uh, kind of thing there. And then, as you said, NBA front off show with Trevor Lane. Uh, we're on our summer schedule right now. So we're a little all over the place. It's you know generally two, three times a week. And then we're back. Uh, we'll be back um, daily shows when the season starts Monday through Friday. And then mail, we're just kind of waiting on a Damian Lillard trade, a James Harden trade, a 
let's see what happens with anything else that surprises us. So we're just kind of waiting on that, but you can get all of our coverage over there. Uh, and when that happens, we'll be, you'll probably, if it happens at a point where we can go live, we'll probably go live to talk about it just because those are a lot of fun. Absolutely. Definitely tune in, guys. I try to listen as often as I can. And yes, Track is the best. I use it for everything I do in this space. It's the website I go to. It's incredible. I use it for this podcast, for my written work, for Draft Digest, all of that stuff. So thank you again to Keith, a true friend of the Pistons Pulse. We enjoy him so much. We thank him. We'll be back next week with the DBB Live guys, Jack Kelly and my man, Wes Davenport. You'll hear his voice. Thank you to him as always. Omari, I hope you're enjoying vacation. Thank you to our editor, Robin Chan, executive producer, Anjanette Delgado, and executive producer, Kirkland Crawford. We will talk to you guys next week.